Welcome to the premiere episode of Aggregate Latte, where two guys, one of whom is in his closet, make absolute fool of themselves for your viewing pleasure. Not to be confused with Bush Latte, the nectar of the gods, however, heavily inspired by it. I'm your host, Ricky Leone, and here's my co-host, B-Minus. Say hello, B-Minus. Hello, B-Minus. Thank you. And we're going to go ahead and jump into our very first topic for the day. Let's talk about the president getting COVID-19. And this is actually a very important topic that I actually sent a text message to my mom about. She was trying to tell me how Trump got coronavirus. And I was like, man, you know, this kind of sends a message to people, doesn't it? If the president can get it, your ass can get it. So you better be careful. Maybe. I I guess my question is, though, what does that really mean? You know, we've got all these guidelines. We've got a lot of news that says, hey, you've got to put on masks. You've got to be careful. But we've got really conflicting information from what I see. The president has gotten it. Is it going to kill him? He's got maybe better medical than other people do. But the information that we're seeing is it doesn't really kill a whole lot of people directly. Out of currently 320 million people in our country, 200,000 People have died from it. I don't really know the numbers on how many people have contracted it, but it's, you know, I know it's well over a million people at this point. I think it's in the multiple millions. And the last I saw is that it was less than 10% of the people who contract coronavirus are actually killed directly by coronavirus. Uh, That's usually prompted by pre-existing comorbidities. And COVID just seems to to push those into a fatal realm, I guess. So what does it mean with the president contracting that? Well, if you take him at his word, the president has a clean bill of health and is practically as strong as an ox. So he publicly is not worried about it and is actually recording videos from the military hospital in which he's staying. And based upon his videos he doesn't sound like he's laboring to speak he doesn't sound like he's gotten a hell of a time with it although he's just now starting to develop symptoms who knows how much further it's going to go and what it's going to progress into from what i'm seeing here and uh, at least from my experience in the medical field from from where i'm at it does look like he's showing uh, the classic symptoms a fever his blood oxygen is lowered uh, and that's just for the way the impact on the lungs is. Uh, one of the primary things that it develops is pneumonia in the lungs, uh, and it interferes with the body's ability to exchange gases. So we see a lowered blood oxygen level, a fever, which is a typical immune response, trying to heat the body up to remove any sort of foreign invasion going on there. So it says the on here on CNBC.com, Trump's oxygen level dropped rapidly on Friday, sparking concerns. Uh, it says the president reportedly received supplemental oxygen on Friday at the White House when he had difficulty breathing, according to the New York Times and Associated Press. He is transferred to Walter Reed National Military Medical Center later that day. That is, I guess, the big thing that we see in a lot of the patients is that their blood oxygen decreases and they end up having a fever. Uh, Other people end up developing, I guess, more off the beaten path symptoms, gastrointestinal, body aches, Fatigue. Fatigue is actually a really big one with a lot of people. But, you know, not not a lot of people are dying from this. 
Well, for starters, to go back and clarify on the numbers, according to the information that Google has posted, we are up to 7.41 million total cases in the United States with 209,000 deaths. So, a very small number indeed. The big thing, I guess, that that I've thought from the beginning of this is what is the concern with this virus compared to other novel viruses that we've we've seen? You know, it it seems to have a a similar effect to a lot of other viruses like uh, influenza, you know, or pneumonia, because it does cause a form of viral pneumonia. Why are people more concerned or afraid of this virus than others? Why has it had such a big impact on our whole economy? The thing that people get excited about or get afraid of in particular is the fact that this is something that we haven't dealt with before and just how fast it spread. So it's not the only coronavirus to have existed. It's not even the only strain of SARS that has ever existed. We had the uh, the Middle East respiratory thing that, that happened. But it just seems like the, the rate at which it spread across the entire world, the fact that nobody could get any kind of immunizations for it, and the fact that it took out a whole bunch of people, given the fact that they were already kind of on their last leg or had underlying medical conditions to begin with, but the sheer fact that it took out such a large number of people all across the world really must be... The, the main reason. It's just massive fear for something that we don't really understand. And mainstream media is not helping. And I think that that's just making everything worse. Great. So pulling up some numbers here uh, from Google's own, uh, built-in news, uh, we see worldwide cases is currently at 34,826,000. Uh, out of that, there has been 1,032,000 deaths and the cases per 1 million people. So for every 1 million people, there is 4,479 cases that occur. So 4,479 people end up contracting COVID out of that million. You know, that that number is based on reported statistics. Uh, So if you don't go in to get tested, then they can't really factor that in there. And a lot of people are asymptomatic. So we'll never know the actual numbers because a lot of people don't get tested and a lot of people never actually even show the signs or symptoms of it. And in the US alone, like you're saying, it's about it's about seven and a half million people who have contracted it. Out of that is two hundred and nine thousand deaths. Uh, and the last that I had looked is the age range for these people is typically over fifty. And out of the typically over fifty, about ninety six percent of them have pre existing conditions that put them at risk for complications from COVID. And that's, I guess, the thing that I find the most interesting is that it's not really that COVID is such a fatal disease. It's more that the individuals with these pre-existing conditions are put at risk. And then for some reason, uh, everybody else seems to be afraid of it, I guess, because we haven't encountered it before. But why it's really any different than another disease, except for its uh, motility, its ability to spread, I, I really don't know. That's that's one of the big questions I've had, and I'm curious. Uh, the indirect damage that COVID will cause versus the direct damage and how much uh, more that will be. We've been dealing with the flu for a long time, and the flu spreads around every year. But when you look at the numbers, the estimate for flu-related deaths for, let's go 2018 to 2019, is about 34,000. 
at least based on an estimate. This could be related to immunizations, which, which lower the number, compared to 200,000, 30,000, nothing. So I wonder what that means for the coronavirus. I am curious, is that a specific uh, strain of the flu, or is that all of the flus aggregated together, and is that worldwide or locally? So this is from this is from our CDC in in the United States. So the data is for the United States. Uh, let me see. So they're for influenza A, H1N1, influenza A, H3N2. It looks like those were the ones that went around 2018 to 2019. It was just a couple different strains of influenza A. So some thoughts that I have is. Uh, the flu has been around for a long time, so we do have what everybody likes to bring up time and time again. They mention things like herd immunity, and really what that means is that a large percentage of people have either been inoculated or have developed antibodies uh, that allows them to deal with these viruses. Uh, initially, we have, for example, the Spanish flu. That took out 50 million people, and in the U.S. alone, it was around 675,000 deaths. Even with a massive increase in population worldwide, it doesn't seem like we're even close to the numbers that we were seeing with the Spanish flu. And I mean, there's there's definitely a multitude of factors, better medical at, at all levels. We have much faster ways of transporting people, much better ways of, of treating people. But still, like those those numbers really are not very significant. They're not significant in the fact that like, are they going to bring our economy to a halt without 200,000 people? And are the illnesses that we're seeing uh, with 7 million people in our country or 30 million people worldwide, you know, are they getting so sick that it's stopping them from working? It doesn't seem like it's it's shutting down their lives entirely. It seems very similar to the flu in that effect. I don't know. This is one of those things that just gets me really frustrated because it just seems like we're, we are, as a society, really fearful of something that doesn't seem very significant in the scheme of things, especially in comparison to, to other illnesses. Like, I mean, look at Ebola, dude. If Ebola had had spread like uh, this is, I'd be afraid. Excuse me, I'd be genuinely afraid of that. I would be very fearful for, I'd never even go outside again if Ebola was to spread to the US in the same way that COVID has. But COVID really doesn't seem that scary. You, I mean, you could, you could definitely die, but the likelihood isn't very high. So do you know anybody who's gotten coronavirus yet? Yeah, I actually know two or three people and they worked at Detox. So the people that they, they probably contracted it from were sort of dirty, nasty, grungy people. And they, uh, one of them actually went on to be a police officer. I don't know if she was working at Detox or as a police officer at the time. The other individual was definitely working at Detox, uh, so the likelihood that they contracted it from Detox is very high. And I assume they're still alive? Very much so. They encountered things like fatigue. Uh, stomach pain was a very big one that they both mentioned. Fatigue, and they just said generally, overall, they felt like crap. Very very similar to what you'd encounter with the flu. I think I know two people. Uh, poor guy, his, his dad actually died from coronavirus, or so they say lives in Mexico. There's obviously a big difference between here and Mexico as far as facilities. Medical care and health. Yeah, but he didn't make it. But the other guy who did get coronavirus, I think they said that he was like in his 60s or something, and he's already back at work. I mean, he was out for a while, and he was hospitalized as far as I had heard, but he's he's back. He's not 100%, but he's back.
So, I mean, those are those are consistent with what we're seeing. It, it's a lot more severe in individuals who are older. So cases by age group. This is years 0 to 4 is 1.8%, 5 to 17, 6.8%. And then the age group 18 to 29. So that's a really big jump. You know, we're doing 0 to 4, 5 to 17, and then 18 to 29. That's 23.7 is that 18 to 29. And then 30 to 39 is 16. Uh, 40 to 49, 15. And then the, the next big jump is 50 to 64. And that's 20.6%. Uh, so the deaths per age group, um, the highest is 85 plus, And that's 31%. And then 75 to 84 is 26. 65 to 74, 21%. And then 50 to 64 is 15.6. That doesn't leave a lot left. Um, we're seeing really, really, really tiny numbers for the rest of the age groups. It just seems to like sort of amplify the fact that it's it's going to affect older people. That's that's the primary target population of concern is people who are 50 plus years of age, and that's that's really true of of any virus uh, or any illness. The older you get, your immune system is is weakened, and you are more susceptible uh, to severe illness or uh, fatality from it. And that's that's another big thing that, you know, I, I get that we stop people from contacting each other. The social distancing is so that younger people don't get it. And the only argument that I could see towards that is it prevents older people from getting it and dying. And I'm not for older people dying, but at the same time, uh, a lot of them are out of the workforce and we're shutting down our entire economy for which population is it for? younger people who may get it and die because it doesn't seem like they're the population that is likely to die from it in the first place. Or is it for older people that we don't want to die? I don't want old people to die. I'm, I'm not a, for anybody really dying from it. But at the same time, the big question I just that keeps coming back into my mind is we have such a drastic response for it, and it doesn't really seem to be that scary. What are the coronavirus measures like up in your area? Um, so there are regulations for um, businesses and what they can and can't do, how many people are allowed in each business. There are regulations for masks. So most, most public places require a mask with uh, groups or gatherings or within the businesses themselves. And then there's uh, there's company restrictions. So me working on an ambulance, what I have to wear around patients. So it's a mask and glasses with any patient contact. And then if they show any symptoms, and where I work has a very expanded list of symptoms, much broader than a lot of other hospitals or ambulance services, uh, we automatically have to wear gowns. If it's an aerosolized or droplet generating procedure, we then have to wear N95 masks as well. And we should be wearing a face shield. So it, it sort of ramps up based off of um, of what's going on, but the, the general thing I think consistent with the whole U.S. is masks. N95s, huh? Uh, so those are those are only for droplet or aerosolizing procedures. So, uh, for example, if we're going to intubate a patient, that's something that could could generate uh, droplets from it. And you know, that's something that does happen, with, especially with older people who contract COVID. They're unable to respirate on their own. And so we have to provide them with that oxygen. Nebulizing is another thing that, that could cause some of that. It's, it's 
more of a protection for us than the patient at that point. Uh, and then I guess that's another interesting thing to bring up is the usage of masks during this whole thing. Masks have been shown to, they're not to protect you, they're to protect other people, which is funny. So uh, as a person without COVID, your likelihood of not contracting it by wearing a mask isn't really that significant. It does the, the statistics are not changed. It's if you're a person with COVID, that mask is supposed to catch those droplets as you breathe and prevent you from spreading it to somebody else. I had thought the uh, the most recent release from the CDC said that uh, if somebody who wasn't infected was wearing a mask and came in contact with somebody who was who wasn't wearing a mask, they said it was like about 30% protection from the mask. Uh, and then is that surgical masks or cloth masks? That's another thing that, that uh, is often ignored or just sort of skipped over. Uh, cloth masks have a very reduced efficacy compared to a surgical mask, you know, masks that are designed to prevent particulate transfer. Because if you just cough in your shirt, shirts are, are usually pretty breathable. And a lot of people are making materials, um, you know, like shirts or similar to make these masks. Whereas the ones that we use in a hospital, sur surgical masks are are by design supposed to prevent transfer. And uh, that's another big thing. It's like, let's just wear a mask, but it doesn't really say what type of mask. Just put something over your face and it's gonna stop COVID. Uh, and the data shows that that's not really the case, but everybody says wear a mask. They're recommending that people don't use surgical masks or N95s and to leave them for the people who actually need them. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting one. Uh, N95s, are the ones that are going to offer protection uh, in both directions the most. However, they're also the more costly to produce, and their numbers are not, you know, as high as any of the other forms of these masks. Then we get into surgical masks, cheaper and easier to produce. They don't prevent all of those droplets from either being sent outwards or from being received. And then the cloth masks you make at home, there's very limited studies on them, but it does show that they're not very good at, at preventing the spread of COVID in any direction. As an environmental hazmat technician, I'm very familiar with N95s and P100 filters and HEPA filters in general. They filter down to 0.5 microns, which is just small enough to filter out a fiber of asbestos. However, the general size of a virus is about 0.3 microns. How does that offer any increased protection against transmission of a virus? Uh, so I, I think it's more of a an attempt at how much you're able to filter. So there's still a possibility for it to get through because, you know, after a certain point, you know, you're, you're unable to transfer air through and prevent the spread of it. I mean, like, unless everybody goes around and, and puts on uh, closed circuit respiration systems, you can't really prevent that that outside transmission. So it's, it's like a net, I guess, and we're hoping that the net can catch as much as possible. It's impossible to prevent that net from from catching everything without changing the way that the system works. But um, I guess the question I have is, is the net worth it all the time? It kind of sounds like trying to catch golf balls with a soccer goal net. You know, your net's bigger than what you're trying to catch it with. So it's like, well, how is that going to work? But I get the point. I mean, I, get, I suppose it'll get some stuff. Plus, 
The virus is mostly bound to, to droplets, which are larger in size than the virus itself, I suppose. And it's it's the rate at which they're being transferred. So, you know, like a sneeze, uh, the speed that it's it's traveling, it could probably permeate the mask. So if it's to blow at a high flow, it'll go through that mask. If it's a slower transmission, you know, like you get splattered, it's, it's probably not going to go fast enough to just go straight through the mask. And again, it's going to be bound to a larger particle. So back to the Trump situation so trump has covid we don't know where it's going but that doesn't stop the left wing from fantasizing about what's going to or may happen we've had calls on twitter from people like kathy griffin who nobody should ever take seriously politically speaking because she is just a complete and total dumpster fire of a person when it comes to her political opinion Yes, she was the one who came on stage with a replica of a severed Donald Trump head on one of her comedy shows. She's not very funny either. People like her, and don't forget about communist Twitter, have been calling for the president to either transfer power or they have been wishing that he will die. And that's something that I've I've been seeing a lot of is the uh, the wishes to die. And I just like to go back to uh, when Obama was in office. If people saying the exact same thing about him, it was automatically a racism issue and not a we don't like the president or he's against our political ideology, so we want him gone. It was a race thing. But with Trump, it's you know it's okay because everybody thinks he's evil and all that, which is very subjective. Yes, a lot of people like Trump. I mean, I feel like even if it was. Let's take Obama out of the equation. Could you imagine if people said that about Hillary Clinton or about Biden? God forbid. <laughs> well, I don't think people are going to have to say that about Biden. He looks like he's about too soon anyways, which I find funny that we're voting for somebody for president who looks like they're not going to make it through the next year, let alone the next four years, and be capable of leading you know, the largest economy in the world. But I think uh, the funny thing is if anybody was to say that in reverse, they're automatically going to be, you know, labeled a whole bunch of evil things. And it, it's it's sort of funny. It's just what's acceptable for one side is not acceptable for the other side. And at what point is it exceeding, you know, the limits of acceptability? Well, it's all one directional as well. You know, it's not like the right has double standards with the left, at least not to my knowledge. It's always the other way around. It does feel that way. But in other news, it did turn out that Pence, Biden, and Harris all tested negative. So luckily, I guess, none of them will be affected by it. All right, everyone. Well, that's all for today. If you've made it this far through the episode, I'd like to thank you very much for bearing with us. Uh, this is our very first episode, and we're still trying to get used to the format and just how to speak and what topics to cover and how. So we're going to be releasing this podcast on a number of different platforms. If somehow you find us, give us a like. Uh, we're going to be setting up social media profiles on Twitter, Facebook, and Parler, a Twitter alternative that is free speech inclined. So once again, I do thank you for watching the first pilot episode of Aggregate Latte. And stay tuned for more. I'm your host, Ricky Leone, signing off.